Sunday Morning Matinee is brought to you in partnership with The Christian Century, a magazine for progressive church leaders. everybody. It's Adam here. We are coming back next week for another season of Sunday Morning Matinee in an effort to stem the tide of growing demand for Sunday Morning Matinee content. My inbox is so full asking, where, where is it, Adam? Where is it all? I need it. Uh, here's a recording of our conversation at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, talking about theology and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We were invited by Covenant Presbyterian Church in Austin to lead this conversation, and it was a total highlight of our summer. One note, the audio of one of the questions from the audience is a little shaky, but I'm sure you'll get the adrift. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. I'm going to—we're going to banter back and forth just about what we saw in the movie today and— some of the themes that were striking us, and then we'd love to open it up to questions, especially around this question that Matt asked at the beginning of the movie. Uh, where did you see holiness in this movie? In, in what way is this holy? Um, but let's start with you, Matt. How did, how did holy and holiness as an idea operate in this movie for you? Well, I, I'm most interested in it in this kind of idea of Indiana's faith journey that happens in this film. Uh, I, I'm, I think the first opening sequence, not, not the, um, young Indiana, uh, river Phoenix sequence, but when, it, when we find him in the classroom teaching at the very beginning, and he kind of gives a lecture that in some ways becomes the, um, the, the jumping off point for where, where he goes as a character. And when he's talking about how archaeology is the search for is, is, is the search for facts. If you want the search for truth, you got to go to the philosophy class down the room. And he, and he, he does, you know, it, it begins, it's, it's in the library. 70% of it is research. X never ever marks the spot. There's all of that. Some of it is played for laughs really quickly. I mean, 10 minutes later, we're in the library in Venice. Okay, so it does begin in the library, but like... Which and next marks the spot. Right next marks the spot. Though the library used to be a church, which I think is worth noting. Um, and next does mark the spot. But there's there's a there's a bit of this movie as it goes along where it it, it becomes for Indy not so much um, a search for facts, but at some point it does become a question about truth. The you know um, the. Uh, I'm now blanking on his name, the evil bad guy. Donovan. Donovan asks yeah. him finally at the end, like the you have to, the time is for you to ask this question now. What do you believe? And he he goes through the trials in in the temple there with all the facts accumulated. Right, he has his his father's diary, um, this this you know, major um, kind of. Uh, totem in the film that has all of the research, all of the research that's been carefully accumulated to get through these these tests, and the first two are in some ways very cognitive. It's you know um, knowing what penitence means, and then knowing how to spell Jehovah in Latin, and then you get to the chasm. And to me, this is the movie. It's him yeah. standing at this chasm and and um, and and having to make this very literal 
uh, leap of faith um, or, you know, what, what Kierkegaard would call the leap into faith. And we have no we have no evidence anywhere in the film that he has had a, a spiritual revelation or any sort of conversion or or anything it seems to happen just in this instant of okay now i am compelled and something about the 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 urgency of it and the necessity of it compels me to take this step and i find that incredibly powerful and it it clearly is richly he is then richly rewarded for it but that that to me is the it's it's the holy moment and it's the it's what for me makes this film um, I, I love this movie. I gotta say, and and you know there there's there's some critical consensus about what the worst Indiana Jones movies are. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the critical consensus has emerged that uh, the Indiana Jones and the oh, what I can't even Kingdom remember. of the Crystal Skull didn't exist. The movie that, that, that does not yeah. exist is the worst, and that and that Temple of Doom is is better than that is the better than that, but not not as good as the other two. And then we have Raiders of the Lost Ark and um, and and Last Crusade up at the top in some order. And I my sense is that like 70, 80% of the critical consensus out there would say that Raiders is the best and this one is second. But I am I am here to dispute that. For me, this for me, this is the best one. And it's because of that character journey and the, the heart of it that makes this film um, work in a, in a different way. Well, what, what about you, Adam? What, what makes this, what's, where's the holiness here? What works for you? So we don't see Sean Connery, who's getting second billing on this movie for almost 45 minutes, which is a pretty unique decision by the filmmakers here because he's, he's on the movie poster. You know that he's in the movie, but we don't see him for a good long while. And, um, but we get these glimmers and hints of their relationship. When the River Phoenix, young Indy, you know, runs into the house with the cross of Coronado, he, he, he puts it on his dad's desk and asks for help. His dad ignores him because his dad is busy in his grail research. So even then you get the hints that, um, that this relationship between Indiana Jones and his father is strained. And that continues to be a motif that's played throughout the movie is that they, they can't see eye to eye. Even when they're trying to have a heart to heart conversation, they don't, they don't really get each other. They're angry with each other. There's all sorts of pent up emotion. There's that moment where they're de- trying to decide whether or not they're going to go to Berlin. And there's made, there's mention made of Indiana Jones's mother and Henry Jones's uh, wife. And it's so fleeting and passing and it feels so rich like if you have a strained relationship with someone in your life, you know those strange moments where you like mention a person's name and everyone knows that we're veering into dangerous territory here and, and you get scared and then you back off. And so the movie earns this. And then near the end of the movie, uh, Henry Jones, or yeah, Henry Jones to the Sean Connery character believes that Indiana's dead. And he says, if I only had five more minutes, we could have sorted this out which is true, like with most of the moments of reconciliation in our families and in our lives, like five real honest minutes could probably get it done. And he gets a second chance. And then Indiana sees his father in peril and he goes and he gets the grail and he saves his father and he gets a second chance. And so they have this second chance, but then, you know, the temple is crumbling and it's about to break and um, it splits and Indiana Jones grabs Elsa, but she's overcome by this desire. It's like a, almost like a lust comes over her and like she wants the grail. And you get the sense that 
over the movie, she continues to talk about she wants the grail, she wants the grail. Indiana Jones doesn't want the grail. Not in the, not in the whole movie ever once does he actually want the grail. Yeah. He's looking for his father. He's doing mm-hmm. like he's being pulled into this story, and then she falls into the mist, the ether, whatever. And then his father grabs him as Indiana Jones is falling, and then he starts reaching for the the Grail again. And I've seen this movie twenty five, thirty times. <laughs> um, I have always seen that as the same type of lust or desire or like pull that came over Elsa, then transfers to Indiana Jones. No. And today, I, I saw something different, which is you have a boy who's wanted to please his father for 40 years. And he sees the object of his father's deepest affection in front of him. And he, he's, he's reaching for it because he thinks this is what's going to bring his father's love. And he reaches and he reaches and he says, I almost got it. And then in the most tender moment of the movie, Sean Connery says, Indiana. And it's the first time he uses that name. And he uses it twice. He says, Indiana, Indiana. And that like, it pulls Indiana Jones out of this this old way of doing the relationship. And I think about this a lot because like in scripture, there are these moments over and over where God will like call someone by their name. And when God calls someone by their name, it's important. But when God uses the name twice, it's really important. And you hear this in, the, in these calls. Um, so Moses like, sees this like, strange bush that's burning on, uh, on the mount. And then he hears like, Moses, Moses, Moshe, Moshe. And um, Paul hears those, those same words. And over and over again, when, when you're being called into the presence of God, you're often being called twice. And so I loved that this, this moment is like, Indiana Jones is called back to reconciliation with his father. And you get a sense that as they exit that temple, they have the five minutes that they need. They have the opportunity to do the act and work of reconciliation. And so I, that, that part just speaks to me as someone who, who serves people who do have strained relationships with their families and people who have strained relationships with God, who have over the period of their life have tried to figure out, okay, so what is my relationship with this God? And I have all this pain and this suffering and this baggage, how do I get into a moment of reconciliation? And I have this vision that God is also calling us when we're in those moments and saying like, Adam, Adam. Mm-hmm. And that's an invitation back. And so that, that was really speaking to me as I, uh, as I watched this movie. If you were to use this movie in your ministry, where would you use it? I think there are a lot of ways to answer that question. And for me, the first one is to recognize that I think this movie is kind of, there's ways, there's a way in which this movie is already in the background of my operating theology, which is that I am pretty sure that my uh, theology of what the communion sacrament should look like is heavily formed by the final scene of this film. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Like I, I know what the Holy Grail should look like because Steven Spielberg told me. Yeah, it's a carpenter's cup. It's a carpenter's cup. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty Simple. sure that if like the Messiah came back tomorrow and said, this is the cup I used at the Last Supper and it had a bunch of golden diamonds on it, I would be like, no man, 
I don't, I don't think you're right. No, that's not I've how it I've seen it. That's not how it works. <laughs> and so I, I'm aware of like my, and, and it's a super like, yeah, it's a super reformed sense of what that meal should look like. Um, but it, and it's kind of, a, it's a sense of the, 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 I recognize it as like a sense of the, the simplicity with which I um, encounter, want to encounter the, the presence of God, that, I, I, that I, there's something about just being reformed and Presbyterian that kind of rebels for me against the super ornate, but it, it, but it, that the presence of God, that the Holy can come in these like really basic things. And, and in some ways that they're almost privileged in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, I was telling you earlier, I was in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago for the first time. And in Jerusalem, there are two competing sites for the crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, one, the, the classical um, longstanding uh, chapel within the old city called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is uh, uh, itself a contested space where multiple Catholic and Orthodox denominations have arranged for multiple uses of this one space where the crucifixion and, and resurrection allegedly happened. And it has got as much bling in it as you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all gilded out and very ornate and there's incense everywhere. And it is a very, it's that very high Catholic Orthodox sense to it. And then outside the city, and that's, that space has been there and in contested use for hundreds and hundreds of years. <laughs> central to the narrative of the actual Crusades, yeah. where people fought over that space. Yeah. Yeah. And then about 100 years ago, there were some Brits who found a little spot of land right outside the city walls uh, where there was a, a, a cliff edge that looked like it had two eyes and a nose and a mouth in it. And they decided that that must be Golgotha, the, 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 the mountain of the skull. Yeah. And so this must be the, the actual place where the crucifixion happened. And there's little caves there. Well, there are caves all over the place. And so there's a little cave there. And they decided that that must be the cave where uh, Jesus was buried and raised. And so they have created a, 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 a worship space slash tourist spot called the Garden Tomb, uh, which um, and, and in a very British way, like the garden is very nice and there's little spots <laughs> where you can go and sing and have worship. And it feels very, it, it, it nourishes my reformed soul that this kind of quiet green space would be that space. Uh, and as our, one of our tour guides said, like, look, the historical record for this place actually being the place of the crucifixion and resurrection is like dubious at best, but it, but it feels right. <laughs> right. What, yeah. So what, what about you? Like, how did, you know, how does this show up for you? How, how might you use it? So the, the line that I've probably repeated most in my life from this movie is, he chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone does something really stupid, I'll say to myself, he chose poorly. And similarly, the, 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 the corresponding line, he chose wisely, I think is, is worth considering. And it, it, it helps me think about this idea of wisdom as it shows up in Scripture too. So wisdom is, um, the, the, the Hebrew word is chokmah, and it's, um, it's a sort of all-encompassing, like, 
understanding and discernment of the world that you understand God and the way God is sort of woven into the fabric of existence and you can notice it and that you can, you can tease it out and point it out to other people and that wisdom is a, a sort of fierce attention to the ways in which God is operating in the world. And, um, and we come to wisdom by things like humility, by penitence, by like a growing in our, as Paul says, in our knowledge and our understanding. So these tests that Indiana Jones is going through are prerequisites for wisdom, which is I think important in the movie because when Donovan and Elsa show up, they actually haven't gone through the tests. Indiana Jones went through the tests. He said did them the favor of, tell, of leaving them road marks on how to pass them, which yeah. I feel like is a, was a questionable decision. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the one who had to, so he went through those tests and it's because he went through the tests that he has created the environment by which he can be wise. Um, there's, if you ever read the book of Job, there's this really interesting little portion of Job, Job 29, where Job has all of these dialogues with his friends, and then suddenly there's this poem that shows up in the middle of Job. It's not attributed to any of his friends. It's not attributed to Job. We don't know where it came from. It seems like some ancient Near Eastern like Hebrew poet wrote this amazing poem, and they had to stick it somewhere, so put it in the book of poetry that is Job, and they stuck it in there. And it's this incredible poem about like, like, miners swinging through mines and they're searching for gold and diamonds and rubies. And, um, and then it ends in saying like, but the wisdom of God is far more precious than all of these things. And then it gets to that great line, which is um, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I think to your point earlier about how, how Indiana Jones comes to this moment of faith, like he, he comes to a place of awe and it's that that allows him to choose wisely, so to speak. And so if I were showing this to people, I would, I would show them those tests and talk about the ways in which the hard things in our lives have actually prepared us to see God. That's, that's the stuff that we hold on to and allows us to focus our attention and discern what is holy, what is sacred, what is godly, and that which is not. So we, we want to hear from you all now. Are there, are there places in this movie that you saw that you found as indicative of holiness or sacredness? And I'm going to ask, we're going to, John, you have uh, the microphone. If, you've, um, if you want to just like raise your hand, that's probably the easiest way to do this. That, that, that's right. I think the holiness in, in the mission itself and the process that they went through to discover the grail, I think was part of it. Another spot for me was that um, if you depict Harrison Ford as Christ, which is real hard to depict, but if you do that and you recognize in order to save his father, he was willing to go through whatever he had to to get to the cup. And and then um, Sean Connery says, Indiana, let it go. I think that's also indicative of sometimes we have to let it go in order to receive the love. Well said. I mean... <laughs> That, I think that last point is especially resonant. And um, within Christian theology and, and within our world, like 
Um, so there's that there's that moment in Deuteronomy where um, it's generally referred to as the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it's this um, very important text for the theology of, of, the, of the Hebrews as they understand themselves. And there's that moment, it says like, and take these words and like write them on your hands. And I think um, if you've got the name of God written on your hands, like those moments where you like clench your fist and you like get angry or you want to like fight or you want to tear something down, the ways in which you can occlude the name of God becomes so apparent. But similarly, like when you open your hands and you let it go, there's that moment where you, you actually might see that God and God's own holy name is written there and you won't be able to see it and notice God unless you let it go. And so, yeah, there's, there's something deeply theological about that. One of the ways I appreciate the last 15 minutes there as well is that the, um, the, the, the grail itself and the temple itself have agency in this story. Yeah. This is uh, radical. And, That's such a good point. And, and so, you know, we, we have this, this quest of these, these varieties of, of humans that are going after this object. And it's, it's not scripturally surprising that they wouldn't actually get to bring it home. A, not if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, it goes poorly for them. And also, you know, you know this, is, this is Moses on the promised land that he can't get, um, or the disciples who don't quite get the Messiah they are hoping for. This, we recognize that beat. But part of what... I mean, it's almost buried here at the end is this moment where the, 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 the former knight says, you know, the, the grail can't go past the seal, which is new information for us at that point in the movie. Like, there is not, the, the, the presumption has been from the very opening, like it belongs in a museum, right? But it, 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 it doesn't. And, and it doesn't because it doesn't want to. Because <laughs> it has, the, the grail itself has, has some agency. And so I think when we talk about the way in which uh, this story is constructed in the way in which Indiana's quest unfolds and the way in which his own development unfolds and all of that. There's, there's room here for recognizing what I would call the, the, the way in which the agency of God is depicted in this story, that it is not just ours. It is also God in this grail who is, wants to set the parameters for how we find holiness and wants to reach out and engage in that story as well, um, which I find deeply comforting. Yeah, I mean, so uh, in addition to that beginning of the movie, you see, you hear Sean Connery's voice when he's doing, he's like copying the illuminated mm -hmm. manuscript and he says he's, he's like, may, may the illumination of this manuscript illumine my path or something like that. Yeah, may this illumination illumine me. Yeah, yeah. And, and later at the end of the movie, his Indiana asked him, like, well, what did you find? And he says, I found illumination. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's one way of putting it. I, if the theological way that I would put it is, uh, I found revelation. Yeah. I found that the revealed God has, does as God chooses. And the very fact that I got to taste this cup, yeah. that I don't get to possess it, that it gets to, like, but I got, I got a chance to taste it. And I think about that within worship, like we don't control that. We show up like you and I, every Sunday, we, we stand up and we do this stuff. We preach and we believe it has, um, that it matters. And in the background, 
we have to at least contend with the fact that I'm not in control, that God's in control, and that if God is going to be made present through my sermon, through the liturgy, through the music, it's because God has agency in making God's self known to the people. And I find great comfort in that as a minister, as someone who sometimes feels that weighty responsibility and being like, I'm the one who's like, I have to be responsible for all these people. Like that's too much. But if I can step back and say like, well, maybe this isn't about me. Maybe there's another party involved here who also has a responsibility that I can lean back into. Are there other questions that anybody might have? Yes, I had a uh, question, and I'd ask you to comment on it. Uh, the scene in the library where this uh, gentleman shows up as a uh, member of a society that's to protect uh, the grail, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you just comment on that role of that, and what, what does that say? How does that speak to you all? So I, 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 I love that, that strain in the film, um, and I have one quibble with it. My quibble is that a cruciform sword just makes no sense logistically. Like, I don't understand how that's supposed to work. You can't bring a cruciform sword um, into battle. Um, but you know, I, I really appreciate that, that character and that strain of characters through the film, which is this um, uh, kind of mysterious uh, cabal that exists to protect the grail from being found. Um, and we we miss we in, we are intentionally led to misread them at the beginning as being the bad guys, uh, and they clearly are revealed to to, to not be. Uh, I, I appreciate that because I think it it doesn't f- solve, but it helps uh, this film kind of navigate what could otherwise be pretty difficult colonialist waters, uh, where what we have are a story about two competing sets of uh, white Europeans and Americans. Uh, Going into um, going into the Middle East in a quest for to to, to raid holy objects, which uh, is a little too close to the First Crusades for my taste, and I, I appreciate that this film doesn't do a perfect job of it. Frankly, none of the Indiana Jones movies do a particularly good <laughs> job of, of depicting non-white characters um, or non-white agency, uh, but uh, in and, and this film, I mean, the scene where the, the local monarch is bribed with the Rolls Royce is, is, is not my favorite part of the film. Um, but the, I, I think that brotherhood of the cruciform sword gives voice to um, a different kind of ethos around both ethnicity and kind of an ethos around what uh, stewardship of this story and this this. Um, this holy place is so I'm I'm very grateful for it. It helps me watch the film better than I otherwise would be able to. Yeah, thank you for that question. I, we're we got to wrap up here because I know that you all have been here for a long time. But um, as we exit, we'll hang out in the lobby if you want to come ask more questions, talk to us for a little bit. But uh, thanks for being here and thanks for inviting us. This is uh, this is such a treat and such a joy, John. Uh, this is great, and we'll come back whenever you want, man, because this is wonderful. Thank you. Thanks.